in another episode here of Sports Tate. It has been a while. There's been a lot going on. Uh, the main thing I want to talk about today is going to be the ongoing issues with the labor negotiations with the NFL, as that has seemed to that has been such a roller coaster ride. And there's a lot of facets that I'd like to get into with that here uh, on this episode this week. Some items that. I feel like may have been bypassed and not really given the due attention in the media. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is kind of the way the news broke regarding a proposed CBA that seemed on the surface like it was a positive net gain for everybody involved. Uh, everybody involved being the owners on one side, the players being on the other side. There was a lot of news and notes being released about increased pay and more guaranteed spots, and I'll get to that a little later on as well. The first thing I thought when this was released, though, and the ensuing fervor, because to most people, this is simply something to get more football. They don't care what's really involved in it. They don't care who wins or who thinks, whoever thinks players won or whoever thinks the owners won. They don't care. All they care about is, is their football going to be on TV come August and September later this year? So when this news started to leak, there was a lot of head-scratching on my end because it ended up being, and it looked like at the time to me, some real spin, some real media spin by the owners. They were the only group who'd really released any news or were leaking news, I guess would be a more accurate term, about the proposed CBA, the headlines you were reading, whether or hearing, whether it be on sports radio or TV or websites or social media, was an increase in the in the funding pool up to forty eight percent. Remember a headline saying this would be the highest uh, shared revenue amount for any of the major sports labor negotiations, and I thought that was a weird way to phrase it. And in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense because what was happening was the owners wanted a deal done. Why they felt the need to make it urgent, I don't know. I guess the fear of another uh, standoff, essentially, and a work stoppage next year. Uh, and, and, and really, their gravy train and, and their money coming to a halt was pretty overwhelming. But then the news started coming in, well, they're going to release, they're going to increase some roster spots going to be 55 now instead of 53 they're going to increase the practice squad membership up a couple of spots too and those are guaranteed salaries they're going to bump those up a little bit too and then the big one was that they were going to raise the minimum salaries anywhere between 90 and a hundred thousand dollars i believe was the reported amount which for two-thirds of the league is a big deal two-thirds of the league makes minimum salary right around there so to hear a 20% pay bump, I think it had the desired effect. It ended up being, from an outsider's perspective, for me watching it, a pretty heady play for the owners to start leaking this information. All of these positives, more roster room, more people getting jobs, more money for everybody around, all of these positives, and all the poor old owners wanted in return was a 17th game. That's it. Just play one more week for us, 
and look at all of these things you can provide to your teammates and to your fellow players. More money, more security. It's been a few weeks now since that came out, and I remember hearing sports morning sports radio talk about how, oh, it's, a ma- it's essentially a done deal. This thing's going to be wrapped up in a week. The statement that they were making on, on, lar- on national syndicated sports radio was they really want a deal in place by the combine, which if you follow the NFL, if you've been following uh, the what are referred to as the underwear Olympics, you know that's come and gone now. And now that there's been some time to give a little more scrutiny to what's actually proposed for this labor agreement, it doesn't seem like such a slam dunk anymore. In fact, you know, I I don't want to puff my chest out, but I believe on an earlier episode of Sports Aid, I said I thought there was going to be a work stoppage. After reading everything about this CBA, I don't think there's anything in there to dissuade me from that idea. The more I've read it and the more I've read player reaction and team representative for the union reaction, I don't think this thing passes. Now, all they need is a simple majority, one vote more than the minority of all 2,000 plus players, and this thing is locked in for 10 years. And in 10 years, they'll go through this whole song and dance again with more record TV deals and more money than than ever before, than there is even now. But they have to get there first. Now, there have been some positive gains. As with any labor negotiation, things go, you know, there are positives, there are negatives. Now, you're not, the players aren't going to get everything they want. And I was wildly off base in thinking a big sticking point in this CBA negotiation was going to be guaranteed contracts that's the most stunning omission to me i've ever encountered you have hockey you have baseball you have basketball the the three the other three of the four major sports all have guaranteed professional contracts you sign a deal tomorrow for three years 30 million dollars and if you're cut the following day that money's still coming to you salary cap ramifications all that other stuff doesn't matter. That contract was signed. It's going to be it's going to be held accountable to both ends. They're paid. NFL, it's not like that. And I've talked about that before. It's the most baffling thing I've I've seen in sports that the most profitable league in terms of television, the most widely attended, widely viewed on on all aspects of media gives the least to its players in terms of guarantees. While there are cases of players going broke and and bankruptcy and having all issues after they leave sports in the other major sports, football is almost known for it. You hear that stat that the average NFL career is about three years. And I mentioned earlier that almost two-thirds of the league is based on a minimum salary. If you make the, the league for three years... At minimum salary, it's a little over $1.5 million. Take out your percentage for your agent. Take out if you have a manager. Take out your taxes. Now, granted, I'm, I'm, nobody's, uh, nobody's moaning and bemoaning the, the idea that, oh, these poor players, 
these poor 26-year-olds with $800,000 in the bank. That's not the point. The point is that for whatever reason, football forever has gotten away with this, players being uh, second fiddle. And I don't know if there's a future negotiation in 10 years if this CBA ends up passing. It feels like guaranteed contracts weren't an issue this time around. Eventually, that's going to have to come around as more uh, more instances of players signing deals and then being cut the next offseason seems to happen every year. There's always a, an eyebrow raiser before even March comes around about veterans being cut a year after they signed a deal with all that fake money that you read on the bottom line of ESPN or that you read on the websites or social media, you know, six years, $40 million, and you go, whoa, hey, that's that's a lot of money. And then you realize that in actuality it's only about $18 million and the, the player got cut one year later. So I think that'll come – eventually that is the next big battle for the NFL. But back to what we're dealing with right now is there's a big, big pot of money – and the owners are dangling a, a percentage more, which again, this is a lot of money. We're talking tens and hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't want to uh, diminish the fact that it is a lot of money. And then the Players Association can disseminate that to post-career health benefits, to pension plans, and improving care for retired players already. That's a positive. But what we're doing in this case with the players, is giving the owners the only leverage players have left. The only leverage. Which is that extra extra game every season. But it's typical type of greedy uh, fashion here. Is that the owners aren't just taking that extra week and framing it as, a well, we're cutting a preseason game, which those players weren't playing in any way. That's not a net zero for the players. There's still pl- that's another week. Most players playing in week 17 right now and, and will be week 18. We're not playing in week four of the preseason. But they're not only including that extra game that the players have to play every season. They're also including another wild card game every weekend. One more team makes the playoffs. Hey, that's a positive. I generally like more teams ma- as a fan. I enjoy more teams making the NFL playoffs. I want to see more teams compete. I want to see less teams tanking. And if there's another playoff spot, less teams are inclined to give up and just shoot for the bottom of the draft order in order to get the best player. So they're already the owners are already give, gaining 16 games by adding this week 18. 16 games. And then they add one more team to the playoffs in each conference. Which, again, to the fans, seems positive. But to the players, if you now make the playoffs as a number two seed, you're now playing an additional week. It might not seem like a lot. And a lot of those players, obviously, you're you're competing to win and get to the Super Bowl. I get that. You're just adding more television money to the owners for when these TV deals come up in a few years and you're going to see the numbers when Fox resigns with the NFL or CBS or whoever it is 
that ends up signing the Sunday games, the numbers are going to be eye-popping. And what happened in the beginning of these negotiations, like I talked about, is these owners just being able to say, just one more week. It's not that bad. One more week, but hey, we're going to limit your practice time. They're going to cut an hour a week, something like that, some minuscule amount out of pads so you don't have to be fully dressed and hitting more. I'm not, I don't want to come off like I'm thinking the owners don't care. I don't think that's the point here. I think the point is the owners seem to continually win on these NFL CBA negotiations. Everybody can make money hand over fist, and they do in these leagues. They do. But it absolutely stuns me how the NFL owners seem to get more and more every time. More and more. So the news cycle started to change a little bit after more news started leaking out. I think the first bit of sentiment that came out that seemed to uh, raise eyebrows on the internet was the idea that adding an additional game would give you an additional paycheck up to a max amount. And again, we're not throwing a pity party for the J.J. Watts of the world or, or the you know, the, the, the quarterbacks making $35 million. I, I don't want it to come off as a pity party. So they max these game checks for an additional week at $250,000. Meaningless to them. In their $35 million salary, one-seventeenth of that, I'll let you do the math. This proposal is coming up about 10 times short for some of those players. While they squashed that, they went back, they ironed out a few things, and they seemed to get that under control. They said, that was a mistake, we'll wipe that right out. But I think that caused a little bit more of a discerning look among team reps and among the actual player pool who eventually is going to vote on this. Now, this seems to take be taking longer and longer and longer than anybody anticipated just to get to the player pool for a final vote. And the longer it waits, I think the more negative news is going to come out. This isn't a, this isn't a thing where uh, the more news is going to be positive for the owners. It's always a bit of a head-scratcher whenever these things come up and you see whether it's tweets or whether it's reaction from fans or, or whoever saying, I can't believe these players are arguing for more money. Oh, I just can't believe it. You know, we, we pay their salaries. What are they doing? In the case of millionaires versus billionaires, it's got to be pretty hard to side with the billionaires. Yet here we are with a fan base of sport of a, of a sports league that's so seemingly selfish. They don't care. I would argue 30 out of the 32 owners in the NFL are faceless. Maybe 29. You've got Jerry Jones, you've got Robert Kraft, and you've got whatever owner, whoever the owner is of the team you follow. Other than that, they're faceless. People don't people can't accuse them of being greedy. They see those players every Sunday. They follow those players on social media. They have meet and greets. They're playing they're you know, they're buying tickets to see the players. 
A lot of people don't know the owners. Now, granted, I don't know how this final vote is going to shake out. All I'm saying is that I think as the increasing sentiment here grows in a negative light, I think it's less likely to pass. And I think it's uh, more likely that they're going to have to continue negotiations, which the owners have already pushed back on and said they're done negotiating, which is a bold move. A bold move. I know they've been going on for a while, negotiations, but a bold move to say you're done, this is the final offer. Especially after you see the news that the player reps voted to send it to the full player pool. Now, the way this works is the overall leadership of the NFL uh, Players Association negotiates this deal with the owners and their representatives. Once that is agreed upon among the leadership, it's sent to team representatives who get a full rundown, and then they vote. And now typically, you want two-thirds of those people to vote, yes. So in this case, that'd be 20 to 21 teams they needed to endorse this deal, or to, to vote yes, so they could officially endorse the deal. That didn't even happen. They couldn't get two thirds of player reps to say this deal was a positive and that they wouldn't they would recommend it to their fellow players. They got seventeen. Seventeen. Barely a majority of these player reps heard all of what we that I've been talking about today and that has been uh, sent out everywhere, whether it be ESPN or uh, anywhere on the internet. Seventeen endorsed it. Barely a majority. It went 17 yay, 14 nay, and one team representative abstained from voting. And I don't know that this is the case with everything, but boy, it seems like the minority voices have been louder since then than the majority voices. There's been statements released by player reps for a lot of teams who have voted for the deal and who voted against the deal, but the ones who voted against it are prominent names. We're looking at Richard Sherman, one of the best cornerbacks and defensive backs of our lifetime and and definitely one of the most outspoken players of our generation. You're looking at Aaron Rodgers, who a lot of players look up to and respect, voting no, not willing to pass this down. I don't know how a full player pool vote would shake out. There's a lot of things to be learned more about this. But there's also some simple fixes. For whatever reason, the NFL decided to only go down to a three-game preseason, which, like I said, to me, that's an eye roll. It's meaningless. Nobody was attending that fourth game. Hardly anybody was watching those fourth games. And nobody nobody of import was playing in those fourth games. Now, I know the, the, you know, roster spots 45 through 53 a lot of those were being decided in week four. And I get that. I don't want to minimize the idea that there are people fighting for their careers and lives and a paycheck in that week four. So they make the idea to cut it down to three. Yet add a week. So the season's going to be the same length. There, there, there's no real gain like we talked about. The simplest solution here, because a big sticking point is one bye week. 
It's already bad enough if you're a fan of a team or, well, if you're a player on a team and your bye week happens to be week four. You've got weeks five through 17 now with essentially no rest. And as the NFL expands, there might be a week or two where you're traveling to England for a game. Less rest than normal. So somehow they come up with the idea of sticking at one bye week. One. Where I think if you're willing as the owners, and they don't really have a dog in the fight in terms of preseason. That's not a money maker for them. Uh, coaching staff probably likes it, but on the executive end, I don't think it's a real positive for them for any reason to keep more than they need to. I think if you cut the preseason down to two weeks, expand your regular season to 17 games, and give an extra bye week somewhere in there. Mandate that each team is going to have a bye week before week eight, or before week 10 or whatever it may be, and that every team will have a second bye week before week sec- before week 15 or 16. Now, you can't be giving out week- bye weeks the last week or two of the season when a lot of teams are kind of already on easy street and resting players anyway in terms of the playoffs. But I think that's a fair trade-off here. And I don't know how that's going to shake out, but I think the, the most concern for the, the players that they seem to have is the idea that uh, they're not going to have more time off, which, I, hey, you add a week to your schedule every year. Inherently, you're going to have less time off. So the trade-off would be give me less practice time, give me less time before the season that I have to be there, whatever it may be. I think a two-game preseason and adding a bye week is the way to go. I have no idea how that's going to shake out. My concern now is that the players have given up their only leverage. The only leverage the, the Players Association had in this CBA was that extra week. Seems like that got out of the way. There were some numbers floated around for the, uh, for, the, for the base players making the minimum salaries. It all seemed good on the outside, but a lot of times, once you do some digging, it stinks a little bit. You have a former player like TJ Lang writing on Twitter, Never been so disappointed in the Players Association leadership in my life. You have other Players Association reps, and not even reps, distributing information on Twitter to NFL players saying, hey, please read this by a lawyer for some of the big changes that you may not have read about or know about. David Bakhtiari from the Green Bay Packers. It's a concerning situation. It really is. Uh, I I still stand by it that uh, I don't think I don't think there will be a very clean start to the NFL season 2021. Labor agreement runs through, I believe, March of next year. If there's nothing in place by the start of this season, I think there's a re- there's some real trouble brewing for this next labor agreement. And I definitely think a work stoppage is in play and still possibly even likely. And now it's time for what I'm obsessing over. And this week it happens to be, which is a rarity among the times I've done this, it's actually sports related. What I'm obsessing over right now is college basketball in general. It doesn't even have to be watching the games. It's been such a crazy ride this season. And especially this February and into early March here, 
that this is shaping up to be one of the most unpredictable NCAA tournaments I've ever encountered. I have no earthly idea how anybody could fill out a bracket with any semblance of knowledge or foresight this year. See, Duke losing three of four. Kansas is back at number one. North Carolina not going to make the tournament. Rutgers probably going to make the tournament. This thing has been all over the place. And you're looking at all these conference tournaments that are going to be very, very major in the next week or two determining seeding for the NCAA tournament. You can typically open whether the scoreboard on whatever app you use or whatever website you use on any morning after big college basketball slate and see, huh, they lost, huh? Can't believe that one. You have Virginia not even ranked. You have, it's been pure madness this year and it's been very fun. Now, if you're a fan of a, of a, of any certain team, probably not a lot of 10 lost teams. That's, that's frustrating. It's also very rare as we rear up for the NCAA tournament in two weeks. Um, one of the most fun college basketball seasons I can remember in my lifetime. So that is currently what I am obsessing over. That is all I have for you this week. Thanks for tuning in, listening to me babble on about something that isn't really interesting to a lot of people. That is labor negotiations between rich and the richer. So my apologies, but I hope you are able to glean maybe a little bit of information from what I talked about this week here on Sports State. As always, you can reach the show 424-30-SK-POD. Leave me a text message or a voicemail. I can utilize that in the next episode for hashtag rate my take. Speaking of that, find it on Twitter at KPAFF3587 or at Steve and Kyle. Hashtag rate my take so I can officially rate your hot take here in a coming episode. We'll get to that next time on Sports Day. That's all I have for you this time. We'll talk to you in two weeks.